Thank you for joining the Zen Care Podcast. These recorded Dharma talks are given freely to our community in the heart of New York City, which we are honored to now share with you. New York Zen Center for Contemplative Care is dedicated to transforming the nature of care through contemplative practice by meeting illness, aging, and death with compassion and wisdom. Learn more about us through zencare.org. So, good evening. Um, wonderful to see you all here, so many of you, such beautiful faces. Many, many spring flowers in the room this evening. A couple of thorny weeds, but for the most part, <laughs> many spring flowers. Got a little colder again today. This weather is so unpredictable here in New York this, this year. It's going to be 80 degrees on Friday. Freezing our butts up today, and on Friday it'll be 80 degrees. Go figure. So uh, a couple of you here this evening were here last night, so, uh, and I didn't record the talk yesterday. So if you want to put earplugs in or go home, it's okay, you're going to hear it again. Um, except, of course, this evening it'll be a different talk anyway, because it's this evening, not yesterday. So I want you to talk a little bit this evening about the statue on the altar, which is... Um, Canon, or the, the big one here, is the one that's usually on our altar. It's also there the whole time. And the other incarnation of the statue is right here. That's not usually on the altar. That's usually in my room. But I wanted to just bring it out this evening because I'm going to talk a little bit about this one too. The gold and black one. So usually in uh, a temple, the, the, the statue that you would see would be a statue of the Buddha on the main altar. Koshin and I thought it was very important that we lift the energy uh, of the feminine bodhisattva in our community because of who we are. Uh, two openly gay, partnered teachers, priests, and, and also that our teacher, Diane, who many of you know, is the first female sensei in our lineage, in our line. She will be 89 this year. She's been my teacher for many, many, many years. Fabulous, fabulous lady. Um, and to honor all the members of our community, whatever lineage they're in, and to whatever gender identi identity they choose, however they express themselves in the world. Many of the bodhisattvas we learn about in our studies, in, in our particular school, um, are considered gender fluid, right? So, you know, folks were hip to uh, non-binary expressions in the 8th century. Go figure, right? 
way back in the 8th century wasn't a big deal. So Canaan, or Avalokiteshvara, or Kangzeyan, or Kuan Yin, all the different names for her, is also seen as male, oftentimes seen as male. And even on occasions, she's seen in animal form. So she can kind of like shapeshift to whatever, she, whatever is needed in the moment. The Buddhist traditions of India and Tibet and Southeast Asia, they consider to be canon male. For some reason, and there's no gender fluidity in their teachings. She's male. He's male. That's it. But in China, she's commonly seen as female. And the worship of Kanan Bodhisattva started way back in the 8th century. And soon after Buddhism reached Japan, <coughs> by way of China and Korea, where the male form of Kanan is predominantly seen, she's also in, in um, sculptures and in art, Kanan is also seen in many, many uh, temples and around Japan as female. We got this particular one, the red one, kind of, I guess, right behind me right now. I found her in a junk shop for $60. <laughs> I thought, I'll take her. I love the way that she's kind of like all sassy, you know, kind of looking off to the side. Uh, she's got that whole thing going on. A little bit like a drag queen, I think. She's the drag canon. Forgive me if anyone finds my dormitory blasphemous this evening. That's kind of who I am, as you know. And I know that she wouldn't mind. Because she could come back as a drag queen whenever she wanted. Kanana can appear in many, many different forms, as I said. Um, in the Avalokiteshvara Sutra, there are 33, no less than 33 incarnations of her as a um, philosopher, a merchant, person of letters, a person of low birth, a person of high rank. Everyone without exception, she's willing to transform into. Interestingly enough, she's also known as the goddess of mercy, and by some, as the divine, the symbol of the Divine Mother. So this is in Japan, the symbol of the Divine Mother. Think of the Virgin Mary, the Divine Mother. So beautiful, I think. So uh, in, Japan, in Japanese or in, in Zen temples, she's known as Kanan. But most of you, or some of you, will know her as Avalokiteshvara the goddess of compassion. 
the bodhisattva of compassion. Bodhisattva is simply uh, an awakened being. <coughs> She's the one who hears the prayers of the world, one who observes the sounds of the world, hears the screams and the suffering of all sentient beings, and the one who looks down with pity on all living beings. Oh, look at those poor people down there screwing it up left, right, and center. <coughs> How can I help them? In the form of Avalokiteshvara, Kuan Yin, you'll often see her more closely represented like this one with 11 faces and a thousand arms and in each arm, in each hand of this thousand arms she will have a tool to help you with it could be a rope, a shovel, a spade a spear, an arrow, a knife, a trowel if you take a close look at this one there's all sorts of different things going on in her hands today she'd probably have as well as all the other stuff a cell phone an iPad, TV, Xanax maybe, <laughs> whatever is needed to help you, she will hear you. The one who sees and hears all. Often you'll see her, um, particularly in, in Chinatown or in Chinese population, you'll see Kuan Yin as um, she's usually standing there in a similar position and she has a lotus, a closed lotus in one hand with this kind of stem going all the way down to, to below, below her knees possibly. And her hand is here and it's kind of welcoming all the Buddhas. And the lotus is still closed. The lotus blossom is still closed. So she she's, hasn't yet given the teachings. She's waiting for you all to come, for the lotus blossom to open. So she'll give you the teachings when you're ready. As I mentioned, oftentimes you'll see her with, you not oftentimes, but you'll also see her with a horse's head. Um, she appeared to samurai warriors. Incredibly, this kanan with a horse's head floating on a lotus petal. You can see that, right? Floating down the river on a lotus petal to come help the samurai warriors. And in Japan, farmers also uh, pray to this particular form of kanan to, for the health and well-being of their cows and horses, their cattle and horses. One of the reasons, uh, one of the other reasons why it's very important for us here to have this particular bodhisattva, as well as the two on the back there, we have Manjushri and Samantabhadra. One of the reasons uh, 
as I said, that we think it's particularly important is for the work that we do in our community, the caring for others. Some of you in here are students of done the foundations training, some of you are about to finish it, and some of you in here are CPE students, you've finished your training as chaplains, going on to other stuff with your master's degrees. Um, so maybe we need to find a name for Kanan, the protector of the caregivers. She is the caregiver of the world. How do we find a name for her that protects the caregivers, those who are giving care, those of us who are going into hospitals, into hospice, into nursing homes, into prisons, serving in the world, being of service in the world? I mean, you could say, I guess, on one level, that we're all canon, right? That we're all she, he, who hears the cries of suffering in the world, going out there into the world to help, to be of service. We're not going to be carrying shovels and spades and bows and arrows, but maybe we're bringing, I don't know, a book of prayers or psalms, a bunch of flowers, you know, just bringing who we are. There's actually a new role for Avalokiteshvara Kanan in Japan right now, and that's connected to the graying of Japanese society and the increasing concerns of the elderly. The concerns about them growing old, fears of senility and dementia, Alzheimer's, and long illnesses leading to death. So how beautiful is that, that she's not stuck in the seventh century, but in contemporary society now they're seeing a new role for her, the protector of the aging. Isn't that beautiful? It's kind of like what we're embarking on here in our center right now is this, this new initiative that we have to really look at how we take care of the aging in our society. We have foundation students now, a couple here, who are already working in uh, nursing homes and seeing how sad that can be. How we have renegated, is that the right word? Relegated, renegades, relegated. <laughs> relegated our aging society into these homes. Oftentimes because we don't have a choice in our society these days because whereas you know, 30 years ago, we could take care of grandma at home. There's always somebody in the house to take care of our aging. Now with um, usually sons and daughters having to go off to work, 
there's not enough money or not enough time to take care of mom. And sometimes the best place for mom to be, for many reasons, is in a nursing home or an assisted living facility. But more often than not, what we're seeing in nursing homes here anyway in New York is a population that, is, that has outlived their spouses and their children. As people are living longer, one of the, the challenges with that is that you know, we have 80, 90, 100 year old residents in these nursing homes who have no one to take care of them. You know, in this particular nursing home we're, we're in, I met a woman who had not had a visitor in seven years because there was no one left to visit her. She's 93. Right? So our students going in there every week bringing a little bit of something, happiness, or just a little bit of the outside world into this person's life. I kind of digress there a little bit because I'm very passionate about this work that we're doing for the aging, maybe because I'm graying myself, I'm a little afraid of being stuck in a nursing home. but this is, uh, as I said, a new initiative that we're embarking on. Very, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Enthusiastically. See, I'm already graying and losing the words. Enthusiastically, this in the coming months. So not only amongst the graying. I love that, the graying population. Here in, the, in America, we've got this awful term being banded around. It's called the silver tsunami. <laughs> the idea that aging, the aging population is a tsunami, that it's a, a disaster. We have all these, all these people that are aging, you know, living into the 80s and 90s. What the hell's going on? What are we going to do? That is, a, that is a reality, that it is a huge challenge, as we know, but to be called a tsunami is pretty awful, right? And in Japan, the graying population. I like that. And one uh, also new uh, role that she's taking on, she's always been a protector of animals, but now it's people's pets, their cats and dogs. The protector of cats and dogs. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah. So I think that's enough about why she's there, why this one is here. Surprisingly, there is a koan. <laughs> Just in case you thought you'd gotten away with not hearing a koan scene. <laughs> it's case number 54 from the Book of Serenity, Yunyan's Great Compassion. The introduction to this koan. Crystal clear on all sides, open and unobstructed in all directions, emanating light and making the earth tremble in all places, subtly exercising spiritual powers at all times. Tell me, how is this manifested? 
How do you manifest yourself in this world? How do you emanate light and make the earth tremble? Right? Just by being present, the earth trembles. So here's the koan. Yunyun asked Dao Wu. Yunyun and Dao Wu, by the way, were brothers, and they both went on to be um, renowned teachers, very well respected in the, in the Zen school. So Yunyun, Yunyun asked his brother, what does the Bodhisattva of great compassion do with so many hands and eyes? And Dao Wu said, it's like someone reaching back for the pillow at night. Yunyan said, I understand. And Dao Wu said, Well, what do you understand? Testing, they're testing each other. You know, in Zen Koan, there's always this testing you know, back and forth between student and teacher. In this case, it's these two brothers. He said, Oh, yeah, so what do you understand? And he said, all over the body, hands and eyes. And Dawu said, well, you said a lot there. Pretty good. Pretty good. But you've only got 80% of it. You've only got 80% of the answer there. And Union said, well, what about you, big brother, smart ass? What about you? What's the answer? Dao Wu said, throughout the body, hands and eyes. Throughout the body, not just on the surface of the body, but throughout the body. Not just 80% of who you are, being present to the suffering, being present to the world emanating this bright light and making the earth tremble. You can't do that with 80% of who you are. It's the whole self, the whole self entering into the relationship. You know, not half-assed or 80%-assed. <laughs> you know, oh, well, I'll go and take care of them, but mm, you know what? I'll just go in and out because I'm not feeling well enough today, or yada, 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 or I'll just sit at my computer and play games for like 10 minutes. I won't be here at my job 100% today. I'll just be here at like 70, 80%. No one's going to know. Well, you'll know, hopefully. So this koan begins with a standard question. How does the great bodhisattva use those hands and eyes to live in the present and ease people's suffering? It's really all that's being asked here. When she touches you, when Avalokiteshvara, when Kuan Yin, when Kanan touches you, She's giving you 100% of who she is. When she sees you, she sees you with 100% of who she is. She's 
not just giving you 80% of herself. She's seeing your sickness, your anguish, your crying, your sorrows, your joys and laughter. She's like, I got it. I'm with you. I'm here for you. This piece that Dao Wu is his response, it's, he's, um, it's like reaching in the, mid, in the middle of the night for the pillow behind your head, right? So if you think about when we're sleeping and, you know, we turn it, we toss and turn and suddenly the, the pillow's not there and we're not even conscious, you know, we're asleep, right? But something about the body, something about our body a knowingness, if you like, reaches for that pillow and makes it more comfortable. We're like, oh, right? But that's only 80% of the job. We're, we're asleep, right? It's like, oh. And yet, the body knows. The eyes and hands throughout the body know that something needs to be tended to. And so the pillow is taken and put back behind the head. That's the 100% of it. That's the 100% of Kanan, Kanziyan, being there. How many times do we do something just by rote? You know, that driving home and suddenly we're there and it's like, how did we get here? Avalokiteshvara certainly definitely wasn't sitting on the seat beside you in the car. When you're like, doo -doo 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 -doo. oh, look at me, I'm home. But when you're walking down Broadway or walking down Sixth Avenue, you're not even aware of the people you're passing. And you're now you're not in relationship with anyone that's also enjoying the streets of New York, or not enjoying, whatever it is. You're in, you know, you've got your blinders on, and you're, you're walking to Trader Joe's to get whatever it is you're getting, you know, or Starbucks, you know, like me when I get off the subway in the morning, it's like, get out of my way, I've got to get to Starbucks. <laughs> you know. I don't need to be 100% present until I get my caffeine. Sometimes that's how it is. Sometimes that's just how it is. So this koan is such a beautiful example, such a beautiful teaching of this, how we can embody this particular bodhisattva. How we can really be in the world in a way that serves ourselves and others. As with all the bodhisattvas, Manjushri, the one that cuts away the delusions, or over there, Samantabhadra, the great vow. How do we wake up to ourselves? 
How do we wake up right now? When we take on the what's the word? When we embody the the essence of these bodhisattvas. We're not special. It's not about, oh, I'm Kanan today. I'm going to go out there and be <laughs> compassionate to all beings. Or I'm Manjushu today. I'm going to go out there and cut all my delusions away. No. It's not it. It's I, my, my desire is to, um, my, is to embody the essence of all these voices not make it special, but to simply be present to myself and to the world, to each other. Yeah. I think that's all I got about Kanan and Avalokiteshvara and Kuan Yin and Kanzeyam. Whether she's male, female, gay, straight, in a dress, in drag, doesn't matter. She's there to help us, to protect us, to hear us. So maybe when you leave this evening, as you exit the Zendo, just give her a little goodbye. <laughs>